Monday. You are listening to WVON 1690 AM Talk of Chicago, the voice of the nation. Thank you for tuning in to What's Really Going On. It is on this show that I will continue to shine a spotlight on any and all issues that directly or indirectly impact public education. Now, I not only want you to tune into this show, but from time to time, I need you to call into the show so that we may harness our collective intelligences for the purpose of restoring hope in our schools and in our communities. Now, listen, I need to let you in on a little secret. I'm only going to tell you this if you promise not to tell in. Nobody. <laughs> Don't let that introduction fool you all. This is my very first radio show. I'm a rookie. Hmm. So I guess you could call me new school. <laughs> I'm here to take on this spot for the time being. And yet I am thrilled to announce. I have a grand announcement to make. I am thrilled to announce for the very first time publicly that leadership at WVON has also granted me the opportunity to elevate my voice on the newly established Vaughn TV. That's right. You heard it here. Vaughn TV is WVON's Talk of Chicago Radio Amplified. And for those of you who are, who are interested, I want to pause for just a moment and be technical and make sure you know a little bit more about Vaughn TV, and then we're going to get started. WVON, for those of you who are followers and those of you who are new, is traditional radio, but Vaughn TV is a digital streaming service. Vaughn TV will rival all other top-notch streaming platforms. WVON's Vaughn's TV is actually, y'all, Less like traditional television and more like Netflix. Von TV will be seen on Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV. And as viewers, you may also enjoy the channel on your PC, tablet, and mobile phone by visiting Von.tv. I am so excited again to share to you, share with you that initially I will be coming to you live on both platforms beginning. September 28th, Chicago, it's my time, it's my turn, nation, it's your time, it's your turn, this is not my radio show, this is our radio show, I am your queen, the educator extraordinaire, Dr. Sonia L. Whitaker. And if you're wondering, for those of you that are new to me, if you're wondering what qualifies me to do this work, I'd like to take just one minute of the time that has been granted me to humbly share with you that I have over 25 years of experience in public education, having started out my teaching career in Atlanta and then taking on various leadership roles in the position of assistant principal principal, director of literacy, director of academic improvement, director of academic achievement, superintendent of schools. And I am now, right now, you all, I feel like I'm the luckiest girl in the world. 
Right now, I am working my dream job as deputy superintendent of schools for Dalton West School District 148, located in Riverdale, Illinois. Academically speaking, I am humble. Y'all, this girl is humble. I am humble to share that I obtained a total of not one, not two, not three, but four degrees in education before the age of 35. I am also a published author and a national speaker. With all of that being said, I think the most important thing that I can share with you today before we get started on our conversation is what motivates me to do this work. What motivates me to do this work, because you all know I got a lot going on, but what motivates me to do this work started out as a direct result of me serving as a building principal in the northwest suburbs of Illinois. And when I was a building principal, this was actually my first year. I was promoted from assistant principal to principal in the same building, and so I knew a lot of the staff already. Um, upon the first couple of weeks on the job, one of the teachers called down to the office and she said, Dr. Whitaker, she said, there's a kid in my class. She said, he's kicking and he's screaming and he is just totally off task. Now I got to let you in on the second secret, second secret. This was my favorite teacher. You all, she was off the charts. So I knew if this teacher called down to the office and asked me for help with a student, he was off task. And I I trusted her so much so that by the time (laughs) she got him down to the office, I hate to tell you all, I had already called his mama. Now, for those of you who are still practitioners like I am right now, you're really not supposed to do that. You're supposed to ask questions, right? You all know, you know the drill, but I didn't do any of that. Like I said, that was my favorite teacher. And she came to work every day ready to do her thing. And I knew if she called once again, she needed me. So by the time the student got down to the office, I asked him to remain seated while I stepped out of the office space to gather more information about what had occurred. And um, what happened after that changed me. I walked back in the office, and I noticed that he had not followed my directions. And, okay, so we got a pattern here, right? Student not following directions of the teacher, and now I'm the authority figure, principal of the school. And he wasn't listening to me either. So I remind him, reminded him to be seated. Second time I came back in the office, he was up and talking to the secretary once again. At the end of the day, after he left the secretary, I guess you could say she pulled my coattail. <laughs> the secretary came up to me and she said, Dr. Whitaker, do you want to know what that student said to me, not only the first time, but the second time that you walked out of this office? And I said, yes, of course. Now, if you fade it out, I need you to fade back in, because research says when the speaker is speaking, the audience fades in and out approximately 32 times every 42 seconds. So if you fade it out, I need you to fade back in for this point. What motivates me to do this work is what she said to me. She said, Dr. Whitaker, she said, not only the first time, but the second time that you walked out of that office, that little boy got out of his seat. He looked me square in the eye and he asked, 
Is there anybody in this school who can teach me how to read? Is there anybody? And y'all, that moment changed me. You see, at that moment, it did not matter to me that people referred to me as Dr. Sonia Whitaker. At that moment, it did not matter to me that I had a veteran staff. My teachers had a ton of experience. The only thing that mattered to me at that moment in my professional career is that there was a child on my watch who was dying to matter. And as far as I am concerned, he had made up in his mind that he was going to be good at being good or he was going to be good at being bad but he was going to be really 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 good at something and so it is at this moment in the show that I would like to apologize in advance for the level of crazy passion that I demonstrate when I talk about public education. You see, I just can't get his question out of my head. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop writing about it. I can't stop blogging about it. I can't stop podcasting about it i can't stop doing the research about it i can't stop talking about it and some might say she won't stop preaching about it and so if i never ever ever speak another day in my life Sonia Whitaker wants to thank any and everybody that had anything to do with me sitting behind this microphone right now. I have one question for you. What's really going on? We're going to pause for just a quick two-minute commercial break so that you may restore your levels of comfort. Thank you for tuning in to What's really going on with me, your queen, the educator extraordinaire, Dr. Sonia Whitaker, coming to you live on WVON 1690 AM, Talk of Chicago, the voice of the nation. The Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. There's too many of you crying 
there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, Father, we don't need to escalate. Don't punish me with brutality. Talk to me so you can see. very much for giving of your gift of time by tuning into what's really going on with your queen, the educator extraordinaire, Dr. Sonia Whitaker. I'm coming to you live on WVON 1690 AM talk of Chicago voice of the nation. Now it's time for us to advance this conversation. I want to start out by sharing with you that I have had the honor of serving in large districts and small districts and districts serving majority white students, which I served for a decade, uh, districts serving majority Latino students and districts serving majority black students. And I came behind this microphone today because I got something I want to tell you about what I've seen. What I've seen is that regardless of the ethnic background of the students that I led or served, and regardless of the economic structure of the community that they lived in, what I have learned is that the students who are so, 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 so very intellectually capable, by the way, the students that have failed to make the type of academic gains that we know that they are capable of making actually fall in one of two different categories. Now, y'all got to excuse me because I'm a teacher, so I'm going to ask a few questions. I'm feeling the love all in this studio. So my first question is, what two categories do you all believe those stu- those students fall in. Again, for those of you who are just tuning in, the question that I'm posing is related to the fact that I've worked in several different types of school districts. And regardless of the economic background and regardless of the class, excuse me, regardless of the class structure and the ethnic background of the students that I've served, the students that are failing to make the type of academic gains that we know that they are capable of making actually fall in one of two different categories. And those categories are what? Those categories are they are either black or there are children of poverty. Regardless of the economic structure of those systems. And so 
actually that's that's really where the title of this show came from because I actually started out my teaching career in Atlanta schools with majority minority students and I remember being a rookie teacher and looking at some of the assessment results of the students and I I went in my classroom one day and I shut the door. I didn't want anybody to know them them numbers I was looking at. And I said, what's really going on? And then uh, several years later, I ended, I moved to Illinois. And I remember saying to my friends and family, well, listen, when I moved to Illinois, I, I want to work in, uh, I want to work in one of those school districts. So let me tell you about that. One of those school districts is associated with the fact that when I was teaching in Atlanta, I asked my peers, I said, What's really going on with these students? My my beautiful black and brown children. They are intellectually capable, but but they are not achieving. What's up with that? And some of my peers at the time said, well, Doc, you know, um, we are in a district. We're in a poor district. You know, the greater majority of our children are poor, and we don't really have all the materials that we need. And I said, okay, I know what to do about that. I moved to Illinois. And I made one thing clear. I cannot even believe. Am I on the radio? I can't believe I'm getting ready to tell you all what I did. When I moved to Illinois, I, I said, listen, I'm not about to work in one of those districts. Did I just tell you all that? I'm for real, though, for real. I said, I, I don't want to work in one of those districts because when I started teaching, I was a rookie. And, you know, there's this, you all know there's this thing called tenure. I was trying to get tenure, so I needed my children to achieve for a whole lot of reasons, Right. So when I moved to Illinois, I said, listen, I want to work in a rich district. And the reason why I want to work in a rich district is because I'm told as a rookie teacher that because we don't have the resources, that's why the kid's not achieving. So I landed myself um, a position eventually for which I was promoted four times in the system within a 10-year time frame. And when I landed myself a position in what I would call at the time a rich district, and I sat behind a big, big desk, and I started looking at those numbers. I, I, I cannot believe I'm getting to tell you this, Nation. I started looking at those assessment results, and I said, you have got to be kidding me. Guess what I asked myself once again when I saw those numbers? I said, what's really going on? And so I want to share with you that I am absolutely convinced that what's really going on in our nation, the problem that we really have at the local, state, and national level as it relates to the academic performance of black children and children experiencing the impact of poverty, which includes white children, Asian children, and the like, is associated with one fact. And that factor is low Literacy. Low literacy, my friends, is the silent killer. And we want to know why all these children are running around trying to blow each other's face off. We want to know why we walk from one office to the next downtown Chicago and kids are not in school. And we want to know why we can't drive up the street without being worried about whether or not somebody's going to carjack us. Come on now. You want to know why this is happening, nation? The reason why this is happening is because they can't read. They can't read. 
Low literacy is the silent killer. And if we as a nation do not combine our technological, human, and intellectual resources for the purpose of making sure that not one but all children, regardless of their ethnic background, regardless of their zip code, can read at extremely high levels, violence is going to occur not just at a town near you, but it's going to occur while you're trying to get a cup of coffee at McDonald's. Yes, it will. Oh, yes, it will. And let me tell you how I know. Because one year ago today, I left work after spending most of the day conducting professional development focused on what's going to happen if we don't teach our children how to read. And I never drink coffee in the afternoon, but I was on 10 like I am now. And so I, you're like, really, Doc? <laughs> I was on 10, so I was like, okay, listen, before I make this drive home, I need to get some coffee. So, so guess what I did? Something I never do. I pulled off, I won't say the name of the city. I pulled off the highway near the place where I used to serve as superintendent of schools, and I got coffee at 4.45 in the afternoon. And you all, I'm not lying. I got to the drive-thru in the broad daylight at 4.45 in the afternoon. And while I was paying for my coffee, I looked up. And a child, he looked like he could not have been 15 years old. Hmm. Whew. Was standing in front of me with a mask on his face. And a gun pointed at my window. In the broad daylight. Now I'm going to need somebody to call my mama and my daddy right now. Because I need to tell you something. This is the first time that they have ever heard that story. In the broad daylight. You all... I was scared to death. I, I think that that child probably was one of my former students. Students. He couldn't have been more than 15 years old. Um, I locked the door, and I screamed like it was nobody's business. And after standing there pointing that gun at me, he ran. And, and, and listen, I'm going to pick up the pace, but I want you all to know, I think he ran I think I scared him to death. I lost my mind in that car. I lost my mind. And he left. And so when I say that low literacy is the silent killer, I want you to come back with me. Stay with me, rather, and answer one question. When we think about the kids that are trying to shoot each other's face off and that baby who could have shot my face off, when we think about the kids who are stealing cars and tan up downtown, what do you consider to be one of the greatest denominators? What is the common denominator in all of those children? They can't read.
they can't read. I think we can do better than that as a city. I think we can do better than that as a nation. It all ties back to low literacy. Now, I believe, before I bring on my guest, I believe that the fact that low literacy is a silent killer, you know, we are in the middle of a presidential election. How often do we hear people talking about education? We got to start asking some more questions. And I want to start a movement, not just nationally, but internationally, by making sure that any and all people with any levels of significant power have a comprehensive plan of action as to how we're going to improve the literacy level of America's most vulnerable students. I believe that low literacy warrants a higher level of national attention than it has ever been given before, and I want it to occur in my lifetime, in my lifetime. And so what I'd like to do right now is to, to bring, drive home the point by bringing on my first guest. Now, you all be patient with me. Remember, I said I'm a rookie here. I'm going to try to actually answer this phone. <laughs> Um, I'm going to bring on a special guest, but before I do that, I would like to take just a moment to read her bio. I think it's important. When I get really good at this, I won't do all that, but I think um, her credentials uh, are important to read. But I also want to share with you that, again, this this concept of low literacy not just impacts public education. Low literacy plays an impact in the health care industry. Maybe I'll bring you on and then read it. Bio. Dr. Adams? Okay, apparently I do need some help with that. Let me read her bio as um, we're getting her on here. Dr. Adams Burt. Awesome. Dr. Burt. Yes. Okay. Dr. Bird. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for being my very first, very special guest. Dr. Bird is a board certified, certified OBGYN practicing in Metro Atlanta for 15 years. She is a graduate of my alma mater, Clark Atlanta University. And after a short lived career as a high school teacher, she attended Morehouse School of Medicine. Her residency training was completed at Al. How do I say it, Doc? I'm going to make sure I don't mess it up. Allegheny. Allegheny, okay. General Allegheny. Hospital mm-hmm. in, in General Hospital in Pittsburgh, PA, where she served as chief resident and was the first African-American female to graduate. Dr. Burt returned to Georgia in 2005, and in 2011, she founded her solo practice, Radiant Women's Health. Her leadership roles include serving as past president and chair of the Atlanta Medical Association, and she serves on the local, state, and national boards and committees, including National Medical Association. Please join me in greeting my very first, my very special guest, Dr. Julianne Adams-Burt. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for giving of your gift of time. I'd like to ask you to please share with our listening audience what is the impact? I spent all this time talking about the impact of low literacy on public education. Can you talk with us from your expertise, from your perspective, about the impact of low literacy in the healthcare industry? Absolutely. 
And thank you so much, Dr. Whitaker, for having me. And congratulations. Your voice is so important, not just for Chicago, not for Illinois, but for the nation as well. So I'm going to start by saying that nearly one half of all people in the United States have difficulty understanding health information. Nearly one half. So that tells me that when patients come to see me, I need to make sure that I am using um, everything that I have within my power from the reception desk to the exam room to even the operating room to the the delivery room um, to the instructions that I'm giving to my patients once we're discussing their diagnoses and we're talking about their medications and how they're going to use it or how they're going to apply certain um, changes, I need to know that I'm doing everything in my power to help that patient understand, to comprehend. Because I just told you, one half of everyone in the United States has a difficult time understanding health information. So limited health literacy is ubiquitous, and it is really causing our communities that I just heard you so passionately sharing with your audience, it's hurting them in more ways than one. It's hurting them in their own lives, in their bodies, and in their families, and on and on and into their communities. Incredible, incredible. So when, when, when a patient comes to you, um, can you talk about what accommodations that you make based on what you understand about the literacy levels um, that you serve of the background, literacy level and background of the folks that you serve. Right, right. So I think if you think of it from this standpoint, we know that if a patient came into our doors and they were a non-English speaking person, what are we going to do? We're going to accommodate. We're going to find an interpreter, a translator. If there's a a deaf patient in front of me, I have to be able to give the information so that he or she can understand it, attain it, obtain it, um, access it, comprehend it, so they can make a decision. I'm not going to talk to someone whose primary language is French. I'm not going to talk to them in English. So many times, as patients, we'll say, Doc, you know, thank you, but... Can you break that down to me in English? And so I have to think on that, right? I can't have my front desk person um, asking my patient, give you a brief example. I can't say, ma'am, here's your clipboard. Please um, complete the demographics. And upon completion, you know, retain a seat and you will be called at, in a priority manner. I mean, I just have to speak at a level Ma'am, fill out this form, have a seat, and a nurse is going to call you in a minute. When she comes back into my exam room, I'll give you the most recent example. I had a patient, after 10 minutes of discussing her surgery, her upcoming surgery, Mm -hmm. and I enjoy educating my patients. I cannot stand for a patient. I can't stand for a friend or a family member to call me and say, well, I just spent 30 minutes with my doctor and I have no idea what they just said. And yet I had my own patient this week 
after going through the consent forms and explaining the surgery, and it is incumbent upon me for that patient to understand that she has alternatives to the surgery, what those risks and those benefits of the surgery are. And at the end, the patient said, well, Dr. Burt, I'm not having a hysterectomy, right? Wow. And I thought, wow. 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 Like, wow. I, I, I use AIDS. I have monitors on my walls. I show pictures. I draw pictures. And the only thing that she understood that a gynecologist does, perhaps because this is her cultural background, sure. right? Sure. Her mama, maybe her auntie and them, her grandmother, all had hysterectomies. And so I had to, I had to redirect and explain it to her in even a different way. So it's, it's extremely important that we understand what the patient's needs are. Maybe giving her a packet of information right. was not helpful. Right. Oh, Maybe I have to draw helpful. some pictures. Maybe I have to just allow her to ask the question. We have to meet people where they are. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Exactly. So there you have it, Chicago, and there you have it, Nation. The impact of low literacy not only had, plays a role and affects public ed- education, the impact of low literacy is negative even in the healthcare industry. Uh, Dr. Bird, I'd like you to hang on for just a second. We're going to take a quick short commercial break. I see I have a Courtney on hold for a question and a few other people, so we're going to take a question or two. After we come back from this commercial break, thank you so very much, everybody. Remember, you are listening to WVON 1690 AM, Talk of Chicago, the voice of the nation radio. Brutality, talk to me, so you can see. Hello, hello, hello. I am Dr. Sonia Whitaker, host of What's Really Going On. Thank you for joining in live at WVON 1690 AM Talk of Chicago, the voice of the nation. We're going to entertain a caller or two before moving the conversation forward. Courtney, are you there? I'm here. First time caller, Dr. Whitaker. Thank you so much. Talk to me. What's on your mind? Well, I just want to thank you for bringing your voice to the radio. My question would be, how can we take the ideas about literacy being a silent killer, and and how do we create space in our public education systems to talk about this? Wow, I think that's a powerful question. And what I'm going to tell you is going to be something I never thought I would say publicly because I don't know that as a a rookie teacher, I'm experienced now, but, but, but I don't know that I realized that it was a faux pas to actually state black children aren't reading. Now, I'm not going to get too deep on this show, but I cannot tell you. I got battle wounds, you all. 
I cannot tell you how much good trouble I have got myself into by sitting in a meeting and stating the obvious. I remember sitting in some meetings thinking, am I the only one to see those numbers? So, so the first thing that we have to do, Courtney, is do we have to create a safe environment where black leaders and white leaders and Asian leaders and male and female school district leaders and their staff can engage in important conversations centered around what is the obvious. And the obvious is that black children, although that they although they are intellectually capable, have failed to meet the type or show the type of academic gains that we know that they are capable of making. So so that's step one. The second step is to then begin to analyze those factors that contribute to the likelihood that they not show gains relevant to their literacy achievement. We have to actively and aggressively address issues and the factors that I have described that we can control within the school setting. And I'd like to segue here and say the school cannot do everything. In Dalton West School District 148, Courtney, we feed our kids breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day. We've provided them Wi-Fi hotspots, laptops, and Chromebooks are on the way from China. We do a lot already. So if a parent says to me, Doc, this is awesome, but I don't have electricity in my home. We need our elected officials to help us get the lights on in the homes of the students that we serve so that they can access the content during this remote learning setting so that they can become literate. And so in summary, my response to your question is directly that. We have to create an environment where we can have the tough conversation without people uh, being uh, fearful of being called racist or biased. Two, we have to analyze assessment results and determine the variables that serve as counterproductive to supporting our students and reaching the academic goals that have been established for them. And three, we need elected officials and any and everybody that has any degree of power to support the school district efforts. Thank you so much for contributing to this conversation. And I'm going to take one more caller. Hello, hello, hello. Did we lose our caller? Okay, I think I lost my first caller. I did apologize in advance for the level of passion that I would demonstrate when I talk about this topic. What I didn't tell you is I do that because I'd like to give anybody opportunity to run real fast if this conversation scares them. <laughs> Listen, I want to share a couple of things with you from my own perspective. Um, my background is literacy. My passion is curriculum and instruction. And so I want to go a little bit deeper before we end and, and talk with you about what is actually happening in our schools. You see, in order for our students to gain the literacy levels that they need to show their fullest intellectual potential, I believe that all adults have to do a better job of developing our cultural competencies. You see, what's happening in the rich districts and the poor and the black and the white that I have seen is that the reason why our children, black children in particular, and children experiencing the impact of poverty, which include white children, 
are not making the type of gains that we know that they are capable of making is because they feel a sense of disconnection from the curriculum and the schooling experience as a whole. Reggie Routman, in her book entitled Reading Essentials, teaches us that before you connect to a student's mind, you have to connect to their hearts. And so even with all the resources that a school district might have available them, if a child shows up to school every single day, shows up on time, is ready to learn, and then we inadvertently place a book or materials in front of them where their people are absent, we send a message to them that says, you don't matter. You don't count. People that look like you have failed to make any level of contribution to this society, much less to this world. I'm going to pause for just one moment and let what I just said to you resonate in your spirit. I said when we let students come to school every single day and we let them sit in those seats prior to COVID-19 and now remotely in some cases, and we put a piece of material in front of them that says, your people don't matter. And we ask ourselves, why children of color and why children who are experiencing the impact of poverty have failed to make the type of academic gains that we know that they are capable of making, shame on us. Shame on us. We already know why that's happening. And so as I've interviewed students in my role as principal, in my role as superintendent, and my role as teacher, assistant principal, in my role as director of literacy, they've told me, they said, Doc, I'm bored. Y'all not teaching about anything that makes sense to me. So brain research tells us that when we learn and when we, even as adults, when we are able to connect to content, when we're able to connect to content, something happens in our brains relevant to the connection of the neurons. When our neurons connect, the brain cells expand and we are more likely to comprehend information. And so if we are sending black children to school every single day and telling them that their people don't matter because we write fat checks to textbook companies, bless their hearts. They're doing the best they can. But we have buying power. We got to call a meeting. It's time to have a conversation for the purpose of making sure that we, with all of our intelligences, we, with all of our resources, are placing materials in our schools that help our students deal with racism. We have to place materials in our schools that teach not just black children, that teach white children how to identify the causes of racism. This is a conversation. This is not an exclusive conversation this conversation has to happen in all school districts not just black school districts but white school districts too and so again this this idea of why are our children not making the type of academic gains that we know that they are capable of making it's centered around the need for us to practice what i like to refer to as the policy 
of intentionality. We've got to engage our students and our communities intentionally in the adoption of textbook materials that we place in front of them. Not doing so is harmful. I want to give you one other solid example of what should be happening in public schools to address low literacy. Now, you all, students who can't connect to the curriculum, I'm talking about females in particular, not just white females, but in this case, more specifically, black females are interested in STEM. Don't let the research reports out there tell you that black female students are not interested in STEM. A study at Vanderbilt University tells us that they're interested in STEM. However, what they have found counterproductive, they meaning the students, what they have found counterproductive is when they attempt to engage in STEM lessons and activities about things that don't matter to them. Some of them said, I think that according to the study, I think it would be real cool to be an aerospace engineer, but I'm not interested in STEM from that perspective. I'm interested in STEM from the extent or to the degree by which I can study it for the purpose of resolving the complex issues that negatively impact the South Side, that negatively impact the North Side that negatively impact the community in which I serve. And so when we offer our fancy STEM programs, which I'm a big proponent of, that's what I mean by practice the policy of intentionality. We've got to know that the programming options that we are making available for all students, regardless of their ethnic background, actually helps them to resolve issues that matter for them. Michigan State University actually has started, they've coined a term, you all, and this coin, the term that they have coined is referred to as the study of demacology. And the study of demacology is the study of the life cycles of built environments, abandoned buildings. And so where I'm going with this is at Michigan State University, they have actually taken students off the streets and educated them. These students are students that are living in communities where there is no grocery store. There is no YMCA. There is no way to go play basketball. There is no way, nowhere to go and get the mental health services that they need or their families. Those buildings are abandoned. And so what Michigan State University is doing in alignment with the term domacology is they're teaching students how to study the materials in those buildings. And what they have found relevant to Michigan in particular is that they have some buildings in inner cities where as much as 70% of the materials in those buildings can be reused. How powerful is that? How powerful is it that if we took kids out of the classroom, put them on a bus, put a white coat on them like Dr. Burke wears every day when she goes to work, doctor them up, put them in a research lab, and let them study the, the homes, the abandoned homes in their community, when we begin to do that, in closing, our students will be able to connect to the curriculum because what we will be teaching them will matter to them, will matter to their communities. Listen, I can't believe they're waving at me, you all. I cannot believe it's time to go. I am so looking forward to being with you on next Saturday. 
thank you so much for tuning in today. I am your queen, the educator extraordinaire, Dr. Sonia Whitaker, host of What's Really Going On on WVON 1690 AM, Talk of Chicago, the voice of the nation. Lonely like a highway. She's living in a world and it's on fire. Filled with catastrophe. But she knows she can fly away.